0: All right, so tonight we have a special, special guest speaker, so uh, Pastor Nick Nepper and his wife Ashley right here, and uh, yeah, give them a clap just right now, but I'm going to introduce them. Um, So Emily and I attend Grace Community Church, which is just down the road on Hudson Road. Uh, We do a lot of our Calva events there. They're a partner church. The Calva staff office is there, so there's a really cool partnership there uh, with the local church, because we believe that. That God hasn't just called Chi Alpha to exist, but but God's called the local church to take the gospel to the ends of the world. And we really believe in the local church here at Chi Alpha. So we encourage you, if you're not in a local church, like if you already have a local church, that's great. But if you don't have a local church, I encourage you to check out Grace. Uh, and tonight you'll get to hear Pastor Nick's heart and kind of see what Grace is about a little bit. So I'm excited for that. But yeah, Pastor Nick is a close friend of mine. And something I'll say, just to, there's so many things I could say to toot his horn, but there's one thing about Nick that I love. At church and even just throughout the week he's so intentional with the one you know something I feel like God has called us to do on the campus is to not just look at crowds but to see the one to engage them and to love them and Pastor Nick has done that with me he's done that with everyone I see walking to the church so if you talk with Nick you're just going to feel so loved and like uh, you're just the best person in the world so I encourage you to talk with him if, if you need encouragement but yeah so anyways I hope you see Nick's heart tonight so let's just welcome him to the stage as he prepares to speak yeah
1: All right. Before we get into the message tonight, I just wanted to uh, talk about Daniel. Is that okay? I hate that guy. Um, (laughs) No. Uh, You are incredibly, am I ringing just a bit? Do I need to move? Uh, John says whatever. Uh, It's just Nick. Um, You are incredibly lucky. You really are. I think that very often, uh, when you're in the middle of college, you don't realize all the advantages that you have when, when you were actually there, and it's not till after you get out of that place that you kind of look back and you realize, like, I had good friends, and I had a nice environment, and I had a, a wonderful, thriving campus ministry, and I had this pastor and this uh staff who cared about me and asked me questions about my life and <laughs> did this every week, Right? It's this really unique thing, and I think very often when we're in the middle of good things, we don't t- stop uh, and take stock of them. But I just wanted to point out to you guys all that uh, what you have here is unique, and it's valuable. And if you're here and you're new and you're like, I don't know, what is, what is this? I have no clue. I can say that you have pastors and you have staff who care deeply about you. Daniel cares very deeply. It's one of the things he's good at, caring very, very deeply about things. And uh, it's a safe place. It's a good place. And if you're on the fringes of this place tonight, I would say, dip your toe in the water. It might be a very good experience for you. All right, all right, good. So I was in college once. Did you? Did you have any idea that that happened? One time. Do you? Do you? Here, somebody just said. I'll let you guess. How many years ago was I in college? Well, this. <laughs> Right, technically, right now, but uh, the story I'm about to tell you was from 15 years ago. <laughs> so, yes, yes, I'm a grown man. <laughs> Supposedly, uh, anyways, this this story I'm about to tell you comes from one of, one of my very first memories in college. Uh, I was after my parents moved me into the dorms, and after they left and cried, and I got settled. Uh, There's always this moment in time where you, when you you first get into college, you go, where, who are my friends, right? And you kind of glom on to the first couple people you meet, and you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that those people aren't actually going to be your friends. They're just the people you surround yourself with for like a week and a half to make yourself feel good, like you do have friends, even though all your friends back at home are your real friends, right? This is what we do. My first roommate was this guy named named Kyle Coots. He was about this big. You weighed 135 pounds. It was weird to watch us walk around together. He was curly-haired. He was crazy. He had a, he had a bad cigarette problem. Uh, and, I, and I went to a school where people were preparing to teach the Bible, so he would, pair, he would put Nicorette patches all over himself to try to break the habit, and I would wake up some nights with Nicorette patches hitting me in the forehead. It was great. We changed that around pretty quick. Anyways, so I was in the cafeteria. It was my, one of my very first times in the cafeteria, and I was sitting with this group of guys who are basketball players, and while I can ball out, I assure you, I am not technically a basketball player. and so And so we were all sitting there talking, and I knew I wasn't necessarily going to, going, to, going to be friends with these guys, but uh, I just wanted somebody to be around me. I, w- I wanted to be near people because you're at college and you want to believe that you're likable and that you can have friends. and so <laughs> Uh, we're sitting in the cafeteria, and at that time, I was really into tennis. My family, a bunch of people in my family to play tennis, and I enjoy watching tennis. And the U.S. Open was on that night, and Andy Roddick was uh, going to play. And I did not uh, the, uh, the thought of sitting in the, the TV room at that time, because we weren't allowed to have TVs in our room in the Stone Age, uh, <laughs> the thought of sitting in the TV room and watching the U.S. Open by myself was abhorrent to me. It was something it just really got to me. And so all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I, I don't even know what happened. I hopped up on my chair and then hopped up on top of the table in the cafeteria. There's probably 250 people in the cafeteria. And I yell at the top of my lungs, who wants to watch tennis with me? And it was dead silent. It was dead silent. And I just stood there like I was wearing clothes, but I should, I felt naked, you know. And uh, one guy off in the corner, his name was DVD, which stood for Deep Voice Derek. Um, he was about 6'8, or more like 6'4, probably 280 pounds, pure muscle, and we called him Deep Voice Derek because he had a really deep voice. And he all he was the only person, only thing I heard in the in the room. He just went, get down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my friend, and my friend, kind of my friend, the guy I was sitting with, kind of grabbed my leg and said, Nick, you need to get down. I said, okay. And so I got down off the table. I don't know why I did that. I, and looking back on it, uh, it's one of those embarrassing memories that you have that when every, time, every once in a while it'll just strike you and it'll shen, send a shiver down your spine, right, when you remember it. Oh, gosh, I can't believe I did that. Well, I was thinking about why I did that, why 15 years ago I hopped up on a table in the middle of the cafeteria and made a fool out of myself. Why did I do that? And thinking about it, I realized that I just wanted to be seen. I just wanted to be seen. I didn't want to be by myself. I just wanted someone to see me, to know me. And I think And really, at that point, I was just emotionally immature, right? I didn't know enough to know exactly what I needed or what I wanted, and so it caused this crazy reaction. But I think that there is this deep-seated desire that each of us have on the inside, right? We want to be seen, don't we? We want people to look at us more than just look at us, right? We want people to understand us. We don't just want to be nameless faceless people in a crowd. We want to be seen. We want to be known in some unique and special way. We want to be known for who we are. Maybe even not how we're acting to be, but who we actually are on the inside of us, in that deep core, the center of our being. We want to be identified and known. And this is not a bad impulse, I think. Uh, I think God actually put it there. But this desire to be seen and known works itself out in all kinds of strange ways in our lives. What uh, that impulse inside of me that motivates me, right, to do things like post my breakfast on social media, right? That that my, the book I'm reading, which I did today on a live Instagram story, right? What, Every time I get new glasses or I get a haircut, I have to post that thing. I have to, I have to show the world it. I want, I want eyes on the things I am doing. I can boomerang the crap out of that stuff, right, so that they can see it. I can say crap in Chi Alpha. I can't say that at church. The old people will get mad at me. So, <laughs> Anyways, Daniel's like, no, you can't say crap. I uh, know he does. That's why I said it. I had free reign. What is that compulsion? What is that, right? What what is that compulsion in the center of in the center of our being that, that, that makes us want to do that? That that causes me to get out my phone and do that, right? What what is that feeling? If you ask me honestly, I think it is that desire to be seen. I think we all have that innate internal desire to be seen and to be understood. And if we don't feel that, if we don't, if we don't feel seen and understood, then it comes out in all kinds of weird and unhealthy ways. And I'm not saying every time you post to social media, it's unhealthy. But I am saying that a compulsion towards that is unhealthy, and it comes out of this place. I love following a lot of people on social media. I do it all the time. But uh, I do sometimes want to ask, why did you post that? Like, did you go to the coffee house and get a coffee just so you could take a picture of the coffee? Is that why you did it? Uh, don't hold up your coffee. It's not about you. Um, <laughs> is that why you did it, right? Like, did you, did you buy those shoes simply so that you could show people that you bought those shoes? It's a question I have at times, and I think it's probably a question we should ask ourselves because the, the, there are impulses in our hearts, right, that we're not always cognizant of, that we're not always aware of. But one thing that does happen is that it stokes our ego, right? It stokes our ego when we get a lot of likes or we, or we do something that gets attention or, or we act in a way that we know isn't who we actually are, but we act in that way because it will put some eyes on us. It will, it will, it will garner some type of attention that we didn't have before. It's that internal desire. It's that internal thing. And in this generation, I think, really this is a problem. It is. It's probably a problem in every generation, but in this one in particular, I see it coming out in all sorts of interesting ways, that there is this deep desire, this longing to be seen. And when when that need isn't fulfilled, both in a regular relational sense and in an ultimate sense, it comes out kind of sideways. There's a story in the Bible at the beginning of the gospel of the book of Luke where an angel appears to a virgin girl we call her Mary. Uh, Bible scholars say that Mary was probably 13 years old at this time, which uh, and which is interesting, right? She was betrothed, which is just a fancy word for engaged, to a man named Joseph. And before you get freaked out by the fact that she was maybe 13 or 14, you do need to understand that people lived to be about 40. And so they needed the timeline to get moved up a little bit. They didn't have a lot of time. Uh, but Mary, by all accounts, was fairly... Um, unimpressive. She came from a little kind of backwater town. She probably didn't have much money. She didn't. She was just a girl, right? There was nothing notable about her. There was nothing significant about her. And I think that's the point. But into Mary's room springs this angel, this this messenger from God. He just bursts into her room, right? And in the book of Luke, Luke gives us this image of Mary sitting in a room and the angel bursting into the room. And if you can imagine him saying this in all caps, he says, and it'll be on the screen, he says, greetings, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. That's one way to enter a room. And this really throws Mary off because obviously it's the kind of strange thing, it's it's a kind of strange thing that could happen to you, right? That an angel would burst into your room and yell at you. And so, the angel tries to kind of help Mary through this. She needs a little help to process what exactly is happening. And he says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. He then goes on to tell her that she is going to get pregnant, which is not a fun thing to hear when you're betrothed to another man. And she, and she finds that a little hard to believe because she is a virgin, right? But even more than the whole immaculate conception thing, the angel goes on to tell Mary that the child she will conceive will be the Son of God, which is significant, and that this child will be the long-awaited Messiah or deliverer of his people, an anointed one. And after hearing all of this, after kind of getting her hair blown back in this way by this angel, Mary just says these very simple words, I am the Lord's servant, May your, word, uh, may your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel disappears. Now imagine for a moment what that was like for Mary. If you can put yourself in her 13-year-old sandals for one moment. You go from just a normal, slightly unremarkable person to the mother of the Son of God in the span of a minute maybe? And above all that, you now know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you are, in the words of this angel, highly favored. Highly favored. Favor is a word that the angel uses twice to talk about how God felt about Mary. That when God looked at her, what he saw When he spoke over her, were the words highly favored. It's this blindingly beautiful thing to come to the realization of, isn't it? That you are highly favored in the eyes of the creator of the universe in the span of just a few moments. Can you imagine what that would do for your self-esteem? Like through the roof, man. Uh, Do any of you follow Odell Beckham? on Instagram? Just me? Okay, great. Uh, I love narcissists. And, uh, he posts at the end of all of his, th- he hashtags everything, highly favored. He got it from her, just for the record. <laughs> Anyways, that's a throwaway. Uh, can you imagine Mary, if she had Instagram, like, here's a picture of my new sandals, hashtag highly favored. Uh, it'd be funny. My wife thinks it's hilarious. Uh, But really, can you put put yourself in her place? Can you put yourself in her place? Can you imagine how that, that knowledge would transform your life? It would change you, wouldn't it? It would change you. It would change everything about you, actually. It would change your whole outlook on life. It would change everything you do, I think if that was something you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. In the Old Testament, there's a book that's hard to say. It's Deuteronomy. Um, The great prophet of the Hebrew people, a guy named Moses, sings a song about how God feels about Israel. The Old Testament is a lot like a musical. People just break into song all the time. And uh, and in Deuteronomy 23.10... Moses is singing a song to the people about how God feels about them. And this is what it says. It's on the screen here. So he sings, in the desert. I could sing it, but I'm not going to. In, in a desert land, he found him. In a barren and hollowing waste, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Like an angel that stirs up in its nest and hovers over its young that spreads its wings to catch them and carry them aloft. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. There are two hymns in this story, just to clear that up. One of those hymns is God, right? And one of those, the other hymn that, is, that Moses is singing about there is Israel. It's the people of Israel. And God says to Israel, I see you, and you are, and this is an old expression, maybe your grandparents have said it to you, the apple of my eye. God is telling Israel that He sees them, that He values them, that they are favored in His sight. Like I said, the apple, uh, the apple of my eye is an old expression, but it was also often used about from parents to children, that you are the apple of my eye. And very often when you would tell somebody that, you would bring them up real close. And the, the idea behind that, that saying is twofold. One, that you are in the center of someone's gaze, right? They're not they're not looking over your shoulder or around you when you're the apple of their eye. You're, you're close. And the second thing is that uh, if you see yourself, have you ever been so close to somebody that you've seen yourself in the reflection of their eyes, right? And you see yourself in, in, the, in the dark of their pupil, right? You see your face. This is what the phrase is talking about. God is so close to the people of Israel in some sense. He wants to be so face-to-face with them that he can see them and they can see him. It's beautiful. It's beautiful isn't it? We would all want somebody to say that to us, I think. We all want a parent, right, who loves us enough to say that to us. We all probably want to be loved in a romantic way by somebody who would say that to us. There's this strong desire in us to have someone say to us, you're the apple of my eye. I see you. You're close to me, and I see you, right? And, you know, this feeling, this desire that's deep in us to have that happen, to be the apple of someone's eye, to truly be seen, that, that desire, if Moses is, if Moses is accurate, and I, and I think he might be, that desire was put in us by God, right? That if God wants that from his people, then he most certainly put the desire for that into our hearts, we all want faithful and loving relationships, right? We all want that. And we want those with people. But if I'm being honest, a faithful and loving relationship with a friend or, or a, uh, somebody you're married to or a parent or a grandparent is good, but it doesn't ultimately, I would argue, fill up that space. It doesn't, it doesn't fully wipe out that desire, I think, in our hearts for someone to really come and say to us, you're the apple of my eye. Because I think God created each of us with this really unique need and desire to have him say that to us. And for that place in our hearts, that, that thing in our chest to be, to be taken up by him. To be seen and known by God. You see, knowing and understanding that we are seen by God turns out to be this unbelievably important aspect of what it means to be a human being. So important, in fact, that when we don't feel like we are getting that from God, we will run after all manner of things in order to be seen. We will just kind of flip our phone around and take a selfie and shoot it out to the world, right, as a means of being seen. Or maybe we'll act out, we'll will act in some way that isn't natural to us in order to be seen by other people. I think women in our culture are particularly susceptible to this, right? To acting in ways so that they would be seen by primarily men, right? You feel that pull, both the pressure of culture to that you be a certain way, that you be perceived a certain way, right? And that internal pull just to be seen And so tonight, I've really centered my talk on two questions, two basic questions that I would like to ask you and that I would like you to ask yourself. And the first question is, do you see that God sees you? Do you see that God sees you? Do you see that he looks at you with favor and with love? He looks at you and says... This is my son or my daughter, and they are highly favored in my sight. And imagine if you actually let that sink down into your soul, right? There might not ever in your life be an angel that appears in your room. I'm hoping that never happens to me because <laughs> I like my sleep. But um, is that sacrilegious? Oh, we're not worrying about it. Uh, But imagine what that would do, right? If you're not running after all kinds of different things and people in order to be seen any longer. You could simply rest in the knowledge of your seenness. And know that no matter what other people in your family or at work or in your friend groups have said and done to you. No matter how little or unseen people have made you feel at different points in your life. The Most High looks at you, he sees you, and he says, highly favored. Highly favored. Highly favored. If the band could come up. Do you feel that desire in your heart to be seen? You can nod if you do. Do you feel that? Do you feel that steady drumbeat in the back of your head that longs for someone to truly know who you are? To see you, to value you, and to say, "I love you." Do you f- maybe it's possible, maybe that that was put there by someone who desperately wants to know, that desperately wants you to know that you're loved, that you're seen. I don't know. It might not be, but it might be, right? It might be. And tonight I think that, I think that if you are able to open yourself up to it, if you're able to, Christ will show you that he sees and that he loves you. Maybe as I'm talking about it now, you have this sense of, maybe that's possible. Maybe it is possible that, there, that the creator of the universe, the, the one who kind of tossed the stars into the sky with a word of his mouth, the one, the one who did everything I see, whose, whose power and authority um, binds the very cells of my body together, Maybe that person, that individual, is not just some benevolent dictator, but is rather the lover of my soul and longs for me to know that above all else, above, anything that he, above, above even anything I could do for him even, he just wants me to know that he sees me and that I'm highly favored in his sight. In a few moments, uh, we're going to respond to that. We're going to give everybody an opportunity in this place to respond to God, whether you felt felt that before or you've never felt it before. We'll give you a moment to respond. But I have a second question. I have a second question. And that second question is probably more for people who have felt that God sees them. And that question is, are you actively... Working to see people? Or are you actively working to see other people? Christians are people who know that they are seen and loved by God, and so they see and love other people. This is what a Christian is. Are you, as a Jesus follower, here tonight? you're here, you're a Jesus follower, but you've been kind of walking from place to place with your head down. There's usually a lot of headphones involved, right? Just like me and my thing and get from point A to point B. And that you're not, in some significant way, attempting to look at people. You're not taking the temperature of the rooms that you're in. You're not paying attention to the people that are all around you who when God looks at them he says highly favored and you are called to be a kind of emissary of that message you know in greek the word angel is angelos big surprise and it just means messenger it just means messenger and that in some real sense, people who have, have come to the, the knowledge of the fact that God sees and loves them are called to be kind of like this angel was to Mary, a messenger of that reality out into the world, a messenger to all of the people, people on the margins of society, the people that other people maybe in this university don't notice. If you have felt that in your heart, you are called to see people, and to be a messenger of the fact that God sees them also. There's an author, his name's uh, Frederick Beecher, and he says this, imagine yourself in a big city, in a crowd of people, what it would be like to see all the people in the crowd like Jesus does. Think what it would be like to love them. If our faith is true, if there is a God, and if God loves, he loves each one of those Try to see them as loved and try to see these faces, the lovable faces, the kind faces, the gentle, compassionate faces. That's not hard, but there are lots of other faces, disagreeable faces, frightening faces, frightened faces, cruel faces, closed faces. I find if you think of them as your family, it helps. You can do it, and it is an exercise worth trying. You know, I think if we practice truly seeing people as God sees them, I think two things happen. I think two things happen. First, there will be a whole assortment of people who will see you seeing them, who will feel you seeing them, and your love and acceptance will point them to the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ. If we want other people to know that they are seen, the first thing we must do is see them and extend this gift that we know and understand to other people, to simply see and love someone. Christians throughout history have always been those who see and love those whom the world often ignores. And the second thing that happens if you begin this practice of seeing people is that every time God helps you see someone, as He does, you will be reminded again of the way that He sees and knows you. Because you can't be a conduit for this type of love and vision and not understand that that is directed at you also, in the same way it is directed at the people with whom you are seeing and expressing the love of God. Does that make sense? So it becomes this active cycle that we participate in. So tonight, as the band's up here, and we're all here, and we got all the time in the world because we're in college, and our kids, we don't have any kids I'm just going to pretend I don't and do whatever I want until I get home in 20 minutes. Tonight, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to open ourselves to the love of God, don't we? To open ourselves to the love of God. And in a couple of minutes ago, I said that if, if you're in this place and you've never felt that, the gaze of God upon you, that you've never felt this knowledge of God's love and acceptance. You've never, you've, never, you've never really come to this reality. Or maybe you just haven't come to it in a while that God sees you. And when he looks at you, he says, favored. I want to pray for you, if that's you. So, would everybody stand up with me? I think that would be good. I think that would be helpful. And would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Because I just want this to be a solemn moment. If you're in this place and you have never felt God say that to you, you've never experienced the love and forgiveness and the sight that is extended to you in Jesus Christ, if that's you and you're in this place and you haven't done that or you haven't felt it in a while, would you please raise your hand? I'd just like to pray for you. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right, you can put your hand down. I'm going to pray, all right? Father, uh, I pray for these in this place who maybe have never known the love of God, who maybe have never met face-to-face with Jesus, who've who've never come to the understanding that they are seen and known and that they are favored in the eyes of the creator of the universe. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would show them that, that it would shake their world up, that it would turn them upside down, that it would, I don't know, what else, put them in a loop-de-loop, I don't know but they would know it beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they would know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. In your name we pray, amen and amen. And now I want something, I want to do something with all of you here in this room. It's a little awkward, I think. Awkward's good, right? I've been very awkward tonight. I want you to turn to your neighbor, whoever's closest to you, because we're called to be emissaries of this message, right? That God sees loves, and favors people. And I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I just want you to say to them, look them in the eyes, right? Ashley and Daniel, you have to do it. Uh, (laughs) You just have to say, God sees you, and you are favored in his sight. Can you do that now? Mean it. Turn to your neighbor. All right, it doesn't take that long. It does not take that long. <laughs> Everybody, cool it. It doesn't take that long. All right. It's beautiful, isn't it? To have someone say that to you, to have a messenger, an angel of sorts say that to you. If you're in this place and you follow Jesus, that's what you're supposed to do with your life. That's the mission. That's what you do. All right? All right. Well, the band's going to play, and we're going to have an opportunity just uh, where you are to open your heart to God and to hear him say favorite again, and then uh, Pastor Daniel will come up and close us. But uh, before we sing, I just want to say thanks. I tend to like this environment, and I don't know all of you, but I'm sure I would like at least 50% of you. (laughs) All right, let's sing.